And in this corner, weighing in with his take on current events, the smarty of the party, the mighty might from the right, the heavyweight of debate, the man who's in cahoots with the grassroots, the broadcaster master, Jimmy Sangenberger! Good morning, happy Saturday, and welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710-KNUS. Happy Hanukkah as well to our Jewish brothers and sisters listening to the program this morning, and a very fitting time as well to wish you this, because I'm very pleased to have back on 710KNUS. He's become a good friend, a dear friend of mine over the last several years. He is a rabbi at Ahavath Torah Congregation in Stoughton, Massachusetts. He's one of our great go-to guys to understand the world as it is, not as we just want it to be, and certainly to help us understand what is really going on with regards to anti-Semitism, as well as Jewish holidays like Hanukkah. Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, welcome back to 710KNUS, my friend, and happy Hanukkah. I feel like this is a second home to me, Jimmy. <laughs> i got to be honest with you. It should be by now. All listen, all's well with uh, love and the blues. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, and gosh, I've been playing some blues for the Jews lately. What we have seen on the world stage and here in our country is just uh, devastating in so many ways. And now we've got the Festival of Lights we'll talk about, and there's so much darkness in the world that it sometimes feels like it's hard to let the light shine a little bit. Your Your observation, I think, is a good one. If there's any holiday that tries to, I wouldn't say lighten the mood, but certainly to put things in perspective when it comes to what the Jewish nation is facing, what liberty is facing, um, and what must be done to counteract the forces of evil. From a Jewish perspective, Hanukkah happens to be one of those holidays. And interestingly enough, um, as you may know, and a lot of the listeners may know, it really is a very minor holiday in the Jewish pantheon of holidays. But it gets, it gets, it does not get short shrift by any means. And that's probably due to um, the, what some people would call the Judeo-Christian roots of the United States and its Hanukkah's calendrical proximity to Christmas. So it all gets wrapped into one and certainly gets a lot more play than traditionally it had. Um, Mm -hmm. But look, you know, here we are. Uh, Light is short. The world is seems to be filled with chaos and spinning out of control. And here we have a festival of lights that tries to shine its light on not just the problems of the world, but hopefully how we resolve some of those problems, at least confront some of those problems. Speaking of festivals, and we'll get more into Hanukkah in a bit as well. You just had last weekend a blues festival at your synagogue. How did that go? And was it a time to bring light and joy from the music of the blues at a dark time? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Again, very interesting. I brought three bands in. Um, two, two of them, uh, one of them used to be a national act, Boston Bay Blues, used to uh, 200 dates a year across the country, as a matter of fact. Uh, they opened for Pine Talk Perkins back in the day and whatnot. So, 
you know, they had a lot of mileage on them. They were great, but a nice, fat, big band sound, as it were, always seven. Actually, they came, they came in with a three-piece horn section, so we're talking about you know, an eight-piece ensemble. Um, a local band that was beginning to make noise before COVID hit, and as a matter of fact, was supposed to do an Eastern United States tour, but got canceled because of COVID, Soulbox. They, my kid just loved them. I got to be honest with you. They started with, uh, you know, the Mark Ronson, Amy, Amy Winehouse song, Valerie? I think well, so, yeah. Yeah, well, they took that song and they really blew, slowed it down and blues it up. And I, my kid went up to, to Greg Miller, who who's, leads the band. It's his band and he's the musical director. Um, just said that was just one of the best versions she had ever heard. But the big, the big ones, they were just great. They, the, those two bands were terrific. But on an absolute higher level was a band by the name of the Delta Generators. Mm-hmm. And I've heard I, of them. I think I've heard of some of their music on Bluesville before, actually. They, you might have. Um, they, they have been a minor national act. And... Yeah, you know, I didn't know this. I listen. I've heard them live before, and they're just—they're just on another level. They're just on another level. So I'm tooling around on YouTube. To, uh, was it Tuesday, Monday night, or Tuesday night? And I come across a clip of them. They were one of the co-leaders, co-co-leaders, um, 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 co-headliners of a blues festival out of the Netherlands this past May. I had no wow. idea. Wow! Oh, that's exciting. I had Oh, yeah, I had no idea. And one of the songs that they performed on Saturday night uh, was, this happened to clip, the name of the song is Shame, Shame, Shame. Yes, originally Jimmy Reed. Uh, no, actually, this, this? Is, this is not a, this is a new song that Brian Templeton oh. wrote. Okay. Uh, listen, and, and let me tell you, Jimmy Reed had a song called Shame, Shame, Shame. So did Kenny um, Wayne Shepard. Right, and there's a there's a disco group that has a song named Shame Shame. They're all they're different songs with the same title. And I, Jimmy, you're a harp player. Yeah, you gotta pull this up, and you gotta listen to the harp intro to the song that Brian Templeton plays live. You would really appreciate it as a harp player. I'm telling you, beautiful. Um, you know, so, and I ended up emailing Rick O'Neill, who's the um, the business manager of the band and their bassist, he had a stroke and he can't, he really can't use his right hand. He uses his right hand to hold the bass. He plays the bass completely from the neck with his left hand. Mm. Oh, it's just amazing. So let me tell you, they were just on another uh, level. I love it. And and remind me, what was the occasion? What was the cause? My current president with whom um, I get along very well, we are a good team, I think, said, listen, we need something. Can you put something together? And I said, look, what do you want? He said, well, you know, you used to produce and promote music here at the synagogue. I said, fine, let me make a couple phone calls. Literally, literally, I made three phone calls. I had the three bands lined up very, very quickly, literally within 24 hours. And it took about another 24 hours to settle on a common date. Um, had three and a half weeks to put this all together, to produce it, to promote it, 
you know, and in three and a half weeks, we had 200 people out of the night of blues. In this, in this moment, again, we're talking with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, uh, where we are seeing anti-Semitism, where we're seeing safety concerns across the country for Jewish people in the United States, let alone around the world. Uh, what was that like to sort of get a break from all of that and just pour into the music and a kind of music that, as you and I have talked about many, many times on and off the air, really is epitomized by the millennia-old Jewish experience. We call it the blues. Well, I will tell you that I gathered all three bands together before we started with the music on Saturday night. We started at 6 o'clock in the evening. We finished at a quarter after 11. So outside of, of some stage changes, which took place rather rapidly, we had the stage uh, turned over within 10 to 15 minutes for the next band. So there was a lot of music. That's impressive speed, let me tell you, having changed over before with my band. Well, look, I will tell you, I worked very closely with the guy, my sound guy. Um, he's the only guy I bring in um, who's really his forte or happens to be venues between 50, uh, 50 seats and 800 seats. So we figured out the week before exactly what we needed for the back line. So we made sure that the, the drum kit and the bass were on the back line. All three bands used the same drum kit and, and, and bass. Um, we had a keyboard set. I mean, listen, we, we did this the way you needed to do it when you have a time limitations and limitations on space. So I gathered all three bands together around 5 o'clock after we fed them, and I just said to the guys, look, you, you need to understand that your presence here, what we're doing here, is a lot bigger than you think. I said, you come in, and you, everybody's idea is that this is just simply, you know, a night of music. I said, but if you take a look at this yesterday, which was a week ago today, I said there were 31 bomb threats against synagogues in the Northeast. 31. And I looked at them all, and I said, you don't have to worry. We were not one of them. I said, but we're in an era of of heightened focus against the Jewish people. We are objects of scorn. We are objects of discord. We are objects of, of physical assault and attack. I said, you take a look at what's happening on the college campus, and I know you're probably going to, we'll probably end up segueing over to that at some point during the hour. Um, but you take a look at all of this, and your presence here is 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 a lot grander than you probably thought because it's a real message yeah. to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that we are not going to hide. We are not going to hang our heads in shame. We are going to do what we always did, and, uh, and that is to celebrate life and to celebrate community, to do this together. Jews and non-Jews, because I have to have the 17 musicians that showed up, only two of them were Jews um, between the three bands. I said, this is what tonight is really about. And, and I will tell you, if you listen to the soundboards, and by the way, I have the soundboards for two of the three bands already, fully mixed. I got to um, hear some of that music, brother. Okay, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get you the links or I'll just send you the files. I'm going to tell you something. You listen to Soulbots, you say they were great. You listen to Boston Bank Blues, you say they're great. 
But when you listen to the Delta generators, you're going to say, oh, my God, just like my kids said. Yeah. They are just on a different level. Wow. They're on a different <laughs> level. Okay. Oh, beautiful. So, so you know, we had 200 people that came out and really celebrated and loved the music. And you can hear from the soundboards how the musicians really took my little message before the whole show started and really poured it into the music. Um because my wife, as you know, has been ill, uh, Boston Baked Blues, literally, uh, Vinny Serino, who's there, it's his band and he's the front man. He's not the musical director. That's um, a guy named Skip Fisher, who, by the way, used to drum for Chuck Berry. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we had, we have some, we had real national uh, you musicians know, up there. Well, fin- finish the, you were, you were mentioning but, in regards to your yeah, wife. So, so what he did is, you know, I didn't know this and my kid didn't know this, but he got up there and I think it was the third or fourth song. He said, listen, you know, this has always been a home for us. We feel like we've come home when we play here. And uh, for those of you who don't know, you know, the rabbi's wife has been ill for the past three years and we'd like to do a little little song. It used to be gospel. It's, he said it used to be just solely a gospel tune, but we have bluesed it up. And he proceeded to play Amazing Grace as a blues tune. Oh wow! Gotta love it. Yeah. Well, and, and you gotta and you gotta listen. And Vinny today is still considered to be one of the top ten harp players of the country. That's how good this guy is. Um, Pine Top Perkins back in the day invited Vinny to play with him. And Pine Top Perkins okay. was with Muddy Waters for a long time yeah. on the piano. Yeah. So you're talking about a guy who's on the level like Vinny Serino, Jerry Portnoy. Uh, James Montgomery. This this is the level you're talking. Dennis Grundling today. This is this is the guy. He's on that level. He's on the yeah. level of a Jason Ritchie, who's probably the most innovative harp player in the world today. And and by the way, I gotta I listen had, to them more. I I have not heard too much of the Delta Generators, and I gotta give them more of a listen. That's for darn sure. All right, let me tell you something. You really enjoy it. And and Brian Templeton. I'm telling you. Pull this. Anybody who's listening today, pull up the Delta Generators, shame, shame, shame from the Netherlands and just listen to Brian Templeton's heart work as as a prelude, as an introduction, the introductory bars to that song. We have Rabbi Jonathan Hausman joining us on the program. We are going to go to a break right here on Noon's Talk. I can't even talk, but I'm also trying to pull up that song as a bump out at the same time, Rabbi. So I'm going to edit this part just a little bit. So let me do this. We are talking with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Just getting started, Rabbi. I pulled it up. Let's uh, let's take a little bit of a listen if we can here. As we... Okay, but uh, Jimmy, you pull it up. Sit back when you start to listen to this go.
Coming back with the best damn Christmas bumper music known to man. It's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. Some caller. The queen of the blues, the tremendous, late, great Coco Taylor, bringing us back. How you like this one, brother? Uh, listen, I knew. I, you I did. heard the mouth open up, and Coco Taylor was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> what was she like? Uh, I only saw a concert once, and that was just years ago. All uh-huh. I can tell you is I, I enjoyed her. Yeah. You know, oh. you know nice, nice throaty voice there, and... Always had to listen. She had her choice of musicians. You know, I'm mean, just as simple as that. Choice of musicians. Um, and it's funny, Bluesville, uh, the uh, Sirius XM station, has been playing a lot of her music over the past couple of weeks. Yes, I've noticed that too. Wang Dang Doodle, great cover of that one by yeah. Willie Dixon, has been played a lot on the station. That's for sure. I mean, here's one of the great things about Christmas is Christmas time is you got some Christmas blues and Rabbi Jonathan Houseman. We both love ourselves some Christmas blues, don't we? Oh, without question, without question. Um, listen, as far as I'm concerned, you, you talk about. Any musical development, when you talk about American musical forms, it either comes out of the blues, gospel, or country music. And those three musical forms come out of the same pot. Yes. You know, it's as simple as that. So, um, you know, when Boston Baked Blues was doing their sound check, uh, Jim, Jim, um, Jim Parasio, the, the guitarist, you know, he's tooling around with his voice and the guitar. I just walked up. I said, you're, you're turning up to, um, I said, you're turning. I said, listen to you. It sounds like you're tuning up to Jimmy Reed. He looked at me. He said, oh, my God. He says, you really know the blues. You do. I know what I like. You have more. I I know a lot about the blues, but you have more of an encyclopedic memory of a lot of these things than I do. I have to be honest with you, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman. But I want to shift gears, and we'll get to a little more blues here when we get to our final segment. And appreciate you joining us on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show for this hour. Hanukkah. It began Thursday night. We are going. Uh, we have this holiday that a lot of people who are not Jewish think of as the Jewish Christmas. It's like the equivalent sort of thing. But as you pointed out before, the Festival of Lights is comparatively or relatively speaking a, a fairly minor holiday. What do you mean by that? Tell us what is Hanukkah about and where does it fall sort of in the pantheon of holidays for the Jewish faith? Well, look, Hanukkah. Let, let's handle the two questions in that order, okay? And if and if I start to miss the second question you ask, just remind you me. You better okay? believe it, okay? It it is Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah in Hebrew is a a holiday, a festival, but a minor one in comparison to some of the other holidays we have on the Jewish calendar. Now. You know, our our holiest of holidays, believe it or not, happens to be Shabbat. And number two would be Yom Kippur. And then number three would be Rosh Hashanah, uh, Passover, Sukkot, which non-Jews would call Tabernacles, and Shavuot, which people would call Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, Now, there's if I got into the rabbinic reasons for the pecking order, 
uh, literally we we we'd be on for another hour. I believe be it. All of it. Okay. Yeah. What Hanukkah commemorates is the recovery of Jerusalem uh, and the subsequent rededication of the Second Temple at the beginning of the Maccabean Revolt against Seleucid Greek rule um, in the middle of the second century BCE, before the Common Era, which non Jews would, or Christians would call BC. Okay. Um, now, there, there are a number of historical elements that go into it. Um, you know, if people want to read a lot more about Hanukkah, listen, I would refer them to the Book of Maccabees, which, interestingly enough, is not part of Jewish canonical texts. Um, but it does tell the story of Hanukkah, particularly in the first and second books of the Maccabees, which describe in detail um, the rededication of the temple, the lighting of the menorah, which was a sacerdotal appurtenance used within the temple itself. The books of the Maccabees are included in some other deuterocanonical books like the Septuagint, um, not part of us, not part of our canon. Um, I believe that the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches happen to consider the book of the Maccabees as canonical. But if you read the first and second books, it will tell about the eight-day rededication of the temple. And if I remember correctly, it's in the first book of the Maccabees. Uh, Though the miracle of the oil does not appear anywhere within any of the books of the Maccabees whatsoever. Now, there is a story similar in character, older in date, okay, that is alluded to in one of the other books of the Maccabees, uh, according to which the relighting of the altar fire uh, was due to a miracle which occurred on the 25th of the month of Keyslave, which happens to be Thursday, this past Thursday night and Friday, yesterday. And it appears that might be the reason given uh, for the selection of the same date for the rededication of the altar by Judah Maccabee. Um, do we know all of this for a fact? No, we don't. Um, so the early rabbis came in and sort of filled in the interstices around this. And indeed, if you look in early rabbinic sources, you'll see that the 25th of is specifically one um, book of the Mishnah, which was a, uh, a, a rabbinic work of oral law that was eventually set down in writing. It literally specifies specifically that the 25th of the month of Kislev is, is Hanukkah of eight days. And specific things are not permitted during this time, includes no eulogies at funerals, okay? And then, you know, the text goes on to reference the rededication of the temple. Um, you know, there are no Jewish laws specifically that describe in detail uh, how to observe Hanukkah. Um, there is never any mention of the and rabbinic text regarding the historical aspects behind Hanukkah. There are lots of scholars who postulate um, that information on the holiday 
that became very so commonplace during the Mishnaic era, which is roughly, roughly the year 100 before the common era, maybe 200 before the common era. Rabbi, the 200 common era. So you talk about this 400 years of development. Can I stop you there just to say, for those right now who are claiming that Israel, the modern Jewish state of Israel, is a colonial state. Let me just note that we are talking about a holiday going on right now that recognizes the recapture of Jerusalem yeah. nearly 2,200 years ago, nearly 2,200 right. right. years ago. That doesn't sound like colonialism today to me, Rabbi and, Osman. And, and, and Jimmy, that's the point. That's the crux of this from a contemporary perspective. I mean, you have you have Jews who are indigenous to the land, living in the land, trying to overthrow a foreign occupier, the Seleucid Greeks, fighting for their religious and national freedom in the land of Israel. So fighting against the colonialists. Right. Absolutely. The colonialists were the Greeks. The colonialists before them were the Persians. The colonialists before them were the Babylonians. The colonialists before them were the Assyrians, all seeking to extend rule, okay, over uh, and absorb the land of Israel into their own respective empires, all right? And for the most part, never removing most of the indigenous Jewish population elsewhere, period. And frankly, if you really want to get to the crux of it, you know, you're talking about the historical antecedents to what we call modern day political Zionism. In what respect? Very briefly. Well, listen, uh, Jewish people constituted in their homeland, mm -hmm. their own land, their homeland. OK, exercising their own political and religious rule over themselves. Simple as that. Straightforward. Simple as that. Jews controlling their own historical destiny. Hmm. Let, let me ask you, Rabbi, in that vein, how do you, in a nutshell, look at anti-Zionism as a form of anti-Semitism? Is there any difference between the two? No. Simple as that. No. There are a lot of people who claim there's a difference, including U.S. Representative Thomas Massey. He says, listen, to be anti-Zionist is not to be an anti-Semite. Really? Well, when Jewish identity and connection to the land is something that we Jews have prayed for, we have studied about for years, it has been wrapped up in our identity, how can that one be divorced from another? Now, we might not have had political control over our destiny for roughly 1900 years, but it did nothing to extinguish, okay, the spiritual longing to be reconstituted in our homeland for those 1900 years of, of, of exile. Okay, and by the way, even during those 1900 years of exile, there was still always some Jewish community that existed in the land of Israel. There were always Jews there. Right. Okay, and, and listen, I, you see this on the college campuses today with regard to, um, you know, what's taken the, the current war, if you want to call it, this is a war any different than other. I happen to think this is part of a years-long war anyway. Okay, but, um, you know, they say the Jewish colonialists, they're interlopers. Really? 
How can there be interlopers when Jews lived in the land in the seventh century? You know, at when you had the beginning of the Arab and uh, Arab Islamic invasions, the Jews were there. Okay. By the way, Byzantine Christians were there too. Yeah. Okay. Mm. You know. Well, it's it, my, it, it's a remarkable facet of this discussion in terms of the fact that it just gets so lost, and I think that's in large part from many who are ignorant and then there are those who know better but they're anti-semitic so they don't care to correct any of the of the ignorance but i just i i think that it is an important reminder as we look at hanukkah maybe this is this is one of the uh, important lessons in this year of hanukkah even though it may not be a high level holiday so to speak relatively speaking compared to some of the other jewish holidays um Right now, in this moment, it is a reminder with the recapture of Jerusalem 2,200 years ago of the Jewish people and their claim to that land where they are fighting a war right now against Hamas that wants to eradicate them from the river to the sea. Right. You know, it's one thing to criticize certain policies of Israel, as you can criticize any policies in the United States or Russia or England or wherever else. But when criticism of Israel specifically uses anti-Semitic ideas about Jewish power or Jewish greed or utilizes Holocaust denial or very popular today with regard to um, many people who represent Hamas and Hezbollah and those kinds of groups where they use Holocaust inversion. And, you know, that's really the claim that the Israelis are the new Nazis. Yeah, You know, okay, Thomas Massey, what is the difference then between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism? And we said this on the, on the air previously. It, 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 what it boils down to is instead of hatred of individual Jews for whatever reason, that hatred has been transferred to a hatred of Israel. And Israel has become the Jew of the world. Yes, we have talked about that before. Uh, Real briefly, before we go to a break with you, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, uh, how did Hanukkah become sort of the equivalent to Christmas, at least in contemporary society, uh, in in, in the minds of many, this festival of lights, if it is not a major holiday? Well, it's very simple. We live in a Christian country. What's the big uh, push? At this time of year, <laughs> something called Christmas, I think. That's right, and and what and why do why do Christian children get gifts on Christmas? Because you had the three magi bringing Christmas to the baby Jesus, right? Yes. Okay, so you have all these sales and everything, and I just think, and listen, when I was a kid, we didn't have any of these things with gift giving. So I'm telling you what we got: we got crisp five dollar bills, and I mean, of course, you're talking about fifty five, sixty years ago. Okay, and then it was the thrill of seeing the Hanukkah, the Hanukkah, the Hanukkah menorah be be lit. Okay, and and as we got older, we were my brothers and I were able to actually do the lighting and lead the the brachot, lead the blessings for it. But you know, it came the eighties. I think a lot of Jewish parents said, you know, I don't want my kid to feel different. So all this gift giving ended up coming into vogue. And Mm. you you know, listen, as you probably can tell, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, we Jews, we do have a holiday where there is gift giving. OK, but it's not where our parents are giving gifts to us. It's where we give we give matanot nyonim. We're giving gifts to those who are less fortunate, less privileged. Mm. And that holiday happens to be the holiday of Purim, 
P-U-R-I-M. So if you've heard of the name Haman, that's what you're talking yeah. about. You're talking about the book of Esther. All mm-hmm. right. But, but that's three, three and a half months from now. There you go. I hey, mean, that, that's, that's our Halloween. We, that's where we give gifts. That's, that's that holiday. We, we got to leave it there for this segment. Rabbi Jonathan Hausman joining us today. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with a few minutes more on the other side. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show News Talk 710 KNUS. I have sleep One of the great Christmas blues tunes of all time. He's one of the three kings of the blues. Died way before his time in 1976. Indeed, if you could hear Rabbi Jonathan Hausman say it, it's the great late Freddie King. And brother, this one, this is just one of those powerful, powerful classic tunes. You just feel that agony. It's Christmas time, and yet he's crying those Christmas tears. Uh, Freddie King, Christmas Tears, 1961 Federal Records. Mm. Uh, it's just, just uh, this guy, I have to tell you, he and Albert Collins happen to be amongst my top five favorite blues guitarists. Mm. I mean, and no matter what they did, no matter what they played, no matter what they sang, it, it's just all, it's just always classic, uh, uh, always classic. And you're right. There, there's a, there's a, listen, I know we're a bit short on time, but I'll tell you, if you can find it, you may be able to find it on YouTube. I have the bootleg of it when I used to trade bootleg music. <laughs> Freddie King, Freddie, no, I got 4,000 shows, by the way. Um, um, I don't do much of it anymore, but Freddie King at the Sugar Bowl, I think it's in Sugar Bowl, was a venue in South Carolina, whatever. Listen to that. He does a cover of Big Legged Woman that is just to die oh, yeah. for on that show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, and I'll just I'll just note this that not sure about any Christmas blues tunes, but a heck of a lot of classic Christmas tunes written by Jews. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ton of them. Yes. Ton well, of them. Listen, there could be probably a whole show on that, to be yeah. honest with you. Well, we, Freddie King, the Texas Cannonball. That's great. Well, we got a few minutes left to appreciate your time here on the program, Rabbi. Uh, this was the director of the FBI, and say what you will, you and I certainly have a lot that we would criticize of Director Christopher Ray, I'm sure. But he said this before Congress this week. What's so jarring about those attacks is that the Jewish community in this country is like two and a half percent of the American public, and yet they represent something close to 60 percent of all religiously based hate crimes. That's startling. Uh, Well, he may be overstating the actual percentage of the Jewish population in this country, Um, Listen, 1.8%, 2.5%, I'm not going to quibble, quibble about it. Because the point is that we don't, 
we're, we're not a huge percentage of the population and you can take all other hate crimes, uh, combine them and what happens that tax on Jews and whatnot happen to be, um, happen to far outstrip all other hate crimes combined. Think about that. Think about that. And then, and then, you know, not to belittle anything or cast aspersions on anything, you have the congressional testimony this week. Um, the three presidents, uh, one from Harvard, one from University of Pennsylvania, my wife's alma mater, by the way, and the third from MIT, where, where these university presidents couldn't even, couldn't even condemn particular aspects of a hate speech as being anti-Semitic and contributing to this environment of attacks on Jews on their own campuses. Yeah. No, it is. It is astonishing. And then the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, backpedaled in cong- on her congressional testimony a day or two ago. Take a listen to this. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. Rabbi Jonathan Ausman, I've only got a minute left, but as I listened to that, I was thinking this was a hearing on anti-Semitism on college campuses, and that wasn't even the focus of your mind in that moment, President McGill of UPenn? She is, listen, uh, my wife, interestingly, my wife just said today, you know, you can go to University of Pennsylvania, you can go to University of Connecticut, and you can still be an idiot if you graduate. And, you know, this is Elise Stefanik, who, by the way, is a Harvard grad, okay? And and Jim Banks, who is not a Harvard grad, a representative out of Indiana. I think both of them call this out for what it is, okay? These people are just so smart that they're stupid because this is just an open, I'm sorry, but this is, this is an open and shut case. Yeah. And responses like Liz McGill and Claudine Gay and and the president of MIT, what they signal is something profoundly misguided when it comes to the issues surrounding free expression um, altogether. Yeah. Wow. All right. She can claim to have she claims to have constitutional protections, but she doesn't understand where court cases have decided where free speech begins and where it ends. Okay, because free speech. Well, it's not a complete absolute, but it's not just that you look at these college campuses and how they treat free speech toward conservative students. And it's a very different story. It's like, okay, Okay. well, we're going to allow these speeches of conservative speakers to be disrupted on campuses so that the voices are being silenced. 
it, it is absurd. But guess what? A ma- ma- major donor to the University of Pennsylvania has threatened to rescind a $100 million gift unless there is a new president replacing Liz McGill, who you just heard. And one can only hope that'll happen. But unfortunately, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, I have to leave it there. Happy Hanukkah, my friend. Shabbat Shalom. And thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Um, Jimmy, always a pleasure to be with you anytime. It is always a treat as well to do this. It's become an annual thing with Rabbi Hausman, so I love it. We're going to take a break. We'll be back two more hours up ahead. The Jimmy Singenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS.